It's one, one, one. Look at that. <laughs> it, is. It, is. it is. It is. I'm all about spirit numbers and angel numbers. I love that. All right. So hi, everybody. What is up? Welcome to another episode of Getting Mental with your host, Brenda Sarai Zuniga. And we have an incredible host. I mean, incredible. Yes, we do have an incredible host, but we have, but we have an incredible guest today with us, Josh Donaldson, who is a mastermind and creative genius behind When the Music Stops, which is a nonprofit. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna read everything that you guys do because I don't want to butcher anything up when it comes to describing how incredible When the Music Stops is. And when the Music Stops is a nonprofit community with the mission of supporting emotional health, mental health, and suicide prevention through music, connection, and love. When the Music Stops provides live and virtual workshops via unique methods of therapy, including meditation and journaling, sound baths, prevention discussions, wellness circles, and more, and all completely free to the public. This is absolutely incredible, and I'm so honored to have Josh here with us for him to share his story, share his knowledge, empower us, and so that we can learn about also more about this amazing person in front of us. Thank you, Josh, for being here. Oh, I'm honored. Thank you for asking me to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So tell me, you tell, tell us a little bit about your story and where you come from. Yeah, sure. Um, I also want to touch base on um, some of where my thoughts are with when the music stops uh, lately is um, I've been working with my therapist on getting back to basics. So a lot of things have changed in the last year, in the last eight months, in the last six months, and in the last 90 days. So obviously we're all, we're trying to be fluid with everything that we do and trying to learn, adapt, evolve, learn, adapt, evolve. And um, so right now, some of the things that are coming up for me are, you know, what are the basics of when the music stops? Well, for me, the end all be all is suicide prevention, but how do we get there? So, you know, for me, the three basics are music. Um, at when the music stops, music comes first because that's what connects us. Our love for the music that binds us together and creates community. Mental health and um, mental health is more important than ever to talk about. When the music stops, we provide simple, common sense ways to work on, improve and maintain your mental health. And then suicide prevention. Everything we do is rooted in suicide prevention because we're here to save, save lives and create lasting bonds. So I really wanted to lean into those things because those are the things that I've been focused on um, as of recent. Uh, a little bit about me. So there's so many different versions of my story, but um, essentially I got into music um, touring. Uh, I was a, a tour manager for DJs in the, the late 90s. Um, oh, how awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I grew up in I grew up in Seattle. I mean, I'm gonna age myself here, so uh, all the Gen Zers are changing the channel right now. Um, but so I grew up in Seattle um, during the you know Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, Nirvana era. Right, I was that's when I was like in in high school and things like that. Um, and then uh, I got into the rave scene and heavily, and I started traveling with uh, one of the biggest uh, DJs. Um, in the rave scene at that time, uh, DJ Donald Glaude, um, straight out of high school, I became his tour manager. Hell we'd yeah. done, we'd done over 20 countries by the time I was 21 together. Oh my so God, incredible. Um, yeah. And so music was my whole life. I wanted to be a DJ, but I had a business mind. So, and I found that 
a great DJ was like a like a guitar player. Um, they are a little eccentric. They just kind of go off into the music. You kind of just they're gone. You don't know where they are. Yeah. They're they're on another planet, just playing playing for us. Usually, when uh, an artist has that unbelievable, beautiful way to channel uh, this musical gift through them, then something else is is usually lacking. You know, um, yes. or not there. Maybe yeah. it's uh, logic. Maybe it's business sense. You know, maybe it's, you know, filing their bills and taxes, who knows, whatever that is. And so what I found was that my role was leaning into understanding brilliant DJs, artists, musicians, and then how can I support them on their journeys? Um, And so how can I help manage that process? Was it booking the flights? Is it carrying the records? Is it booking the hotel rooms? You know, what was it that they weren't good at that I could support them on their journey so that they could focus on channeling the music and being this unbelievable creative that they are. Because it's hard for us to be creative, be incredible, and then also worry about, you know, all the, the day-to-day logistics of getting to the show and, and things like that. Yeah. And so I had a great career doing that, but I have a bit of a musical ear. So I have an ear for talent and I became what is known as a talent buyer. Um, A talent buyer is somebody um, in the United States or anywhere in the world that finds acts, up and coming acts or top acts, whatever they are, and they book them for venues. So there could be concert venues. It could be you could be a talent buyer for comedians Um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, you book comedy shows, you book music festivals. So for every time that somebody sees a band somewhere or uh, an artist or a rapper or a singer or a DJ, there's a talent buyer behind that show that bought that talent, that did the contracting, that did the details, that did the negotiations. So, and it's a very small, there's only, you know, 20 of them in the country. There's, there's like, Oh, wow. There's only like two handfuls. Um, Usually. So like live nation would probably have a talent buyer that's regional one in this area, one in this area, one in this area, but across the country, you know, they wouldn't have too many. Um, And so I became known as a talent buyer in Las Vegas. I spent uh, 14 years there, 2003 to 2017. And I was a buyer and I bought a a lot of shows every year for a lot of the venues there. Um, Big shows, small shows, medium sized shows. And then. um, And so you would get the talent and then you would book them for these venues, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so dope. But the thing is, though, it's like a it's like a Rubik's cube. You need to get all the sides to match. Mm -hmm. Um, So you want to find the perfect balance of somebody that people want to see who's not too expensive and where there's a margin where you can make money, but the energy is going to be high. So it's like this, it's, you know, a friend of mine, a friend of mine calls me the nightclub alchemist um, because I'm like, just, it's like always mixing it up, you know, like, okay, how did we make sure that the energy is incredible and the people are dancing, they're having the best time ever, but the tickets are affordable, but the bar can make money. So it's like all this, it's like, a, I call it the Rubik's cube. He calls it alchemy. It's a little bit of both. Yeah. I think that's brilliant. And it does take a very special mind to do that because you do have to worry about the logistics and the talent and the pricing and the audience. And what day is it? What's going on around, you know, the venue yeah. that day? It's like there's ticketing, so- yeah so many factors that go into this so many i think that's amazing that your mind can do all of that we need you because yeah. oh my god like look yes 
I, I, I'm a businesswoman, but I'm also a creative. And, you know, Bo Burnham has a song called uh, Left Brain, Right Brain, and that they're always at war with each other. Um, but when he does comedy, he's able to blend both because wow. doing comedy allows, and it's true, I've never felt so heard and understood in my life. Um, when we perform comedy, I'm able to analyze and man the form. But with being a creative, I'm able to express it, you know, so it's it's like using both, which is what I love doing. But oh, man, if I could have someone just take over all the admin and business side and I can just flourish in the creative part. Yeah. Oh. So that's that's almost anybody's dream. Oh, um, I, I mean, it's, it's funny that you say that. I'd like to tell a quick story. A, a yeah, year a year ago, um, I was moving after spending two years in isolation in Florida, no friends, no family, really focusing on my mental health, uh, volunteering, being, you know, we can get into all of that. But I, I moved back to San Francisco, back to the Bay Area. And I had a friend of mine that, that believed in me. And she said, you know, instead of giving you money or donations, what I'm going to do is give you a place to live. I'm going to let you move into my house for X, you know, almost a year. And, you know, you'll have meals, you'll have the bills paid. You'll, you don't have to worry about that. Focus on when the music stops. And something beautiful happened. Within 90 days, I went from worrying and being depressed to, like you said, flourishing, uh, being creative, seeing branding, seeing where I need to be, how I can do it, what, what, where we need to be, where can we use our voice, what, you know, what needs to be done. And all of a sudden, I had these beautiful downloads that were coming to me. I need to book this theater over here on this night, and I need to book this mental health speaker and bring them in with this poet and this rapper and this singer. And it was like, you know, the, the, the alchemy portion of it. Um, yeah. And the aha moment for me was how was I able to get from depression? I mean, aside from my two years of, of mental of therapy and all the things I worked on, but in the moment, how was I able to get from depression to um, creative bliss, if you will? And I looked back and I reflected on it and it was because my basic needs were met and I no yes. longer had to worry about them. I didn't have to worry about food or shelter or electricity or power or where I'm going to sleep. And as soon as that worry is gone, then that other part of the brain activates. Right. And so I all in that moment, I was able to realize that it wasn't about me. What about all the people in the world, especially in, you know, let's focus on America right now, that, yeah. uh, but everywhere, everywhere um, that are struggling with their student loans, their car payments, they're, maybe they're working at Starbucks, maybe they're waitressing, maybe they're busing, maybe, you know, they're working the, the construction, maybe they're working the jobs that make this country move. And they aren't able to stop worrying about their rent or their bills or inflation or their food or their kids or student loans or what they're going to do. And so they never are able to get to that creative bliss point. And yeah. so one of the things that I've been thinking about lately is, is, you know, how can we help people? I, I don't know what it is, but you know, how do we help people get to that creative bliss? How can we help people relieve that pressure? Because think about this, we might have the next Albert Einstein or the next mm -hmm. Mozart, uh, you know, or the next, you know, wh whomever it may be at, at Walmart, who's working right there. And, you know, we, somebody might come in and judge them because of their position, right. but they might be the most brilliant minded, beautiful person in the world, 
but they're worried about their bills. And so they're not able to get to that point where they're able to hit that flow state of creativity. Yes. And you touched upon exactly what Maslow talks about. Have you heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Of course. Yeah. So it's about having that, our first needs, our basic needs of survival met, right? And then yeah. we can like food, shelter, and then move on over to the next of the pyramid. And to the top is, is fulfillment of like creativeness that we're able to be able to partake in. And you're absolutely right. When people live in a survival mode, right? When, when our brain deems us in survival mode, it is very hard for us to be creative. It is very hard for us to have any sort of attention on anything else other than I need to survive and I need to get my basic needs met. Even self-care. So let's say that you're struggling with your mental health and you are on, you're looking on Instagram, you're going on your page, you're going on my page, you're on when the music stops, you're on your page, you're getting this advice. And we're telling these beautiful things. You're doing one of your videos where you're singing and writing songs. You know, you're going to one of my things that says, hey, meditate and be in nature. But you're like, wait a second, I meditate. I can't even pay my rent that's due next week or my car just broke down or I'm out of gas, you know? So it's really easy for us to tell people what to do, but yes. it's it's not always easy for us included or them in the moment when we're struggling and worrying to be able to find that that peace and that calm to go to a park and take our shoes off. It doesn't, <laughs> it feels like you're doing something wrong if you don't know where the money's coming or the food is coming or the bills or the power just got turned off. You know, going to the park yeah. feels like a luxury, even though it's not. Right. And you bring up a really, really, really great point where we need to, self-care is not a luxury. It is a necessity that yeah. needs to be part of our basic needs. Absolutely. It needs, it's not like, okay, once I get my basic needs met, then I could self-care. No, 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 no. This needs to be part of the first starting part of the triangle. Because if, again, if we're in constantly in survival mode, we're not going to be able to focus on anything else that's around us. And we're going to constantly be worrying about the next thing and the next thing. Whereas right now, let's say somebody does have a roof over their head and they, they have eaten today. Let's sit on that for a little bit and let's practice some gratitude. Let's practice that meditation. And here's the thing with meditation. It's science. It's all neuroscience. It's not woo woo. It's not like, oh, what? I'm just going to sit New here age, and breathe. Science. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's not like, oh, I'm just going to sit here and breathe and everything will get better. You know, what I'm saying is that this is going to help our brain develop gray matter and yeah. develop a stronger tie to the prefrontal cortex, which is responsible for focus, attention, memory, mood regulation, and breath work is going to help calm our central nervous system so that even though we may not be in ultra survival mode, because we have an overactive amygdala and we're not practicing self-care, we will perceive things as if they are a threat or we will worry unnecessarily over things that we can, we can practice some calm into it. And we need to be breathing. First of all, it's really important to know that. And it's, it's a hard thing to practice and do, even though I know it, I, I don't always am able to do it, but we need to be breathing through our nose. Um, our mouth is meant to be eating, um, and it's, we're not supposed to be mouth breathers and mm -hmm. we are, and you know, that's one of the biggest misunderstandings. We need to be breathing through our nose to oxygenate our brain, which allows us to calm those down, which allows, you know, more oxygen to flow to certain areas of the brain. Like you said, uh, to create new neural pathways and brain matter. And then also through breathing techniques, you calm the uh, vagus nerve or the parasympathetic nerve. Each breathing technique, different hold patterns 
mm-hmm. regulate different parts of the body in different ways. And these are things that you can do for free and at home. When your friend gave you that awesome opportunity to be, uh, to have shelter and to have all this stuff for a year, what were some of the positive coping skills that you were using during that time that also you would credit to your creativity flourishing? Um, well, excellent point. Uh, walking, I gained uh, a lot of weight. And when I was, uh, when I got on an antidepressant, I, um, was in recovery, uh, for a year. And so I, I gained a lot of weight when I moved to San Francisco, I was, uh, struggling, um, physically. And so for me, it was getting outside, getting fresh air and movement, mobility, um, mm-hmm. being able to walk around the block. And it was hard at first and, and which is, I had never felt that, you know, and it's a very humbling thing. So being grateful, practicing gratitude, being grateful that I was alive, being grateful that I was, even if I was heavy, I wasn't skinny and dead. I was heavy and alive. So the glass is, is half full. There's a silver lining to my weight gain. My weight gain was because my body was fighting to stay alive. And, and, and this new medication that I was on was helping me um, regulate my, my depression and, and things like that. So um, my medication was helping me. My therapist is incredible. Um, gratitude. I try to journal, right? I would be, uh, I, I would be lying if I said that I journaled every day. I don't, um, I do a couple times a month, but it's so powerful and so important. If I got to the point when I get to the point where I can do it once a week, and there's something about putting pen to paper that yes. manifests what you put in there, not just it's a, energetic release of what you're going through, which is usually what we do. When we're journaling, we predominantly we put in there everything that's going wrong, you know, uh, the boyfriend, the girlfriend, what we're going through, where we're at, what happened today, who pissed us off, who upset us, who hurt us, we write yep. it in there and it's a cathartic release. Um, but I've seen lately people are starting to write in their journals that what they're grateful for. Mm-hmm. which is now you're, you're putting that into the universe and you're letting them know, you know, this is the things that I do care about and I am thankful for and I do love. Um, one of the things that a lot of works for a lot of my friends and I, I want to get into it is, is vision boarding. But also I think that in our journals, we, it's important for us to write and visualize our goals and then, you know, focus on those things and put our intention into where do we want to be? You can change your life at any point in time. You can change your adventure yes. um, at, at any point in time. And it's really important to understand that you can set your intention. It won't happen overnight, but you can set your intention. You don't want to work at Walmart anymore. You don't want to work at Starbucks anymore. What's the next step to get to where you're at? You know, yes. I don't have a college degree. I don't usually talk about that. Um, I immediately went into music and that was my calling. Um, okay. And so, you know, not everyone has a, a, a higher education. That's okay. That's a big, it's a big, it's a big world. And you can make a lot of money if that's what you're looking for um, without an education, just by focusing on what it is that, that is important to you. I love everything you just said. And this is going to be a, a clip that I'm going to be releasing because you, you're incredible. Like everything you said is exactly what I believe. No, you don't need uh, a college degree to feel smart. No, 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 no. There's a book. Gosh, what book is it? Is it how to win friends and influence people or is it think and grow rich? I forgot which one. Of They're those. both in the top 20 mental health, self-care bestsellers of all time. Both of those. I love those books. I've read them both multiple times, but I'm, I can't remember in which book this is the example of, but there's um, 
a really, really big, powerful CEO who is being questioned in court because they're saying that he's dumb and that he doesn't have this degree and he doesn't, you know, he's not capable of doing what he's doing. And so they're asking him all the, all these very trivial questions, like what president did this in 19, whatever. And he was just like, why is everyone asking you this? He didn't know the, the answer to it. And so the person questioning him was like, see, see everybody, see, he doesn't know the answers. And it got to the point where he, the CEO that was being questioned goes, okay, th these questions are meaningless to me. I have people that I pay who can answer these questions. I have people for me who can answer them. And then the whole room fell silent because that's when they knew that the CEO, even though he didn't have this quote, quote, higher education was the most educated person and intelligent person in that room, you know? Mm -hmm. And there's a difference between smart and being intelligent. Anybody can be smart. Anybody. If you give somebody the ability to go to college and you fund their college education and they get that degree, anybody can do that. But it takes true mastery to develop emotional intelligence, which is the true form of intelligence. Learning about how to regulate yourself, how to form relationships with others, how to maintain relationships with others, how to learn collaborating with the people around you, right? And learning empathy, learning, learning how to put yourself in other people's shoes, learning how to lead. That is true intelligence because anybody, all right, can go to college and get that degree and say, look, I got my four year and blah, blah, blah. Okay, cool. You went to school, you read some books, you had someone talk to you about it. <laughs> you regurgitated the, the information. You took a test and the test said you pass. Okay, great. But how do you treat people? How do you treat yourself? Well, that's funny that you say that really quick. Um, yeah. We're, we're completely a little off topic, not that it matters, but um, <laughs> so this is going to, I don't even know how this is going to uh, be perceived, but exactly what you just said is, is what the founders of Google did to find their last CEO. So their, their CEO for the longest tenure of the last 20 years was Eric Schmidt. Um, he's no longer the CEO, but I think he retired, you know, um, but I think he, I believe he was the CEO for maybe 17 years and, um, Sergey Brin and, uh, oh, what's his business partner's name? Um, the two gentlemen that own Google, they were looking for a CEO in the early two thousands. I want to say around 2004 or something around the, that, those lines. And they had some unbelievable candidates and, um, one of the things they did was they took Eric Schmidt, who was a candidate, who was this top of the class, you know, higher education, unbelievable um, candidate who, yeah. you know, was perceived to be a brilliant man and a genius. And they took him to Burning Man and they put him in the That's with, awesome. in, in, with the with there's articles about this. You can there's studies about this articles about it that you can just type it in. It'll come right up. They had him in the crowd you know just that because they at burning man there's no money there's no you know they they, they strip away uh societal titles yeah you know um everyone is meant to contribute and things like that and so then they watched him for eight days to see what his interaction was when he was hanging out with you know let's just say somebody from the mail room obviously there's no mail and, and uh you know i don't know yeah. But so somebody from the mailroom or somebody from, you know, the, you know, whoever it is, the janitor, whatever, you know, let's whoever they took the burning man um, at the Google camp and they uh, 
they brought they brought him and they wanted to see the interaction how he interacted with people and yeah. because of how he treated everyone he got the job and became the ceo so it wasn't based on his qualifications it that was what got him in the door but totally. what got him the job was how he treated others um his emotional intelligence and what happened when they took away his money took away his his title took away his luxury and how he functioned in society because that's huge. She was showing that he's a leader, not because of his degree, but because that's who he is as a person. He was able to get along. He was able to not have that pompous attitude of I'm, I'm greater than you just because of the title. That's what life's about. We're supposed to be humble always. Easier said than done. You know what is, <laughs> and for those who are like, oh man, that's hard. How? The book, How to Win Friends and Influence People does an incredible job at talking about the importance of being kind of being humble and genuinely caring for people developing that genuine love for people and empathy because that's that's what life is about you know but you got to do it in a genuine way because people will know energy doesn't lie people will know when it's fake that leads me to another story um yeah 2019 was my my burnout after 23 24 years um and i attempted to take my life um, I was on vacation, had a psychotic episode and a nervous breakdown. And uh, I would three days, um, three days afterwards, I, I, I slipped my wrist um, in a very, very, very severe way. Um, but so a lot of people know that information, but I was um, Baker acted, which is kind of like a 5150 in California. Mm -hmm. um, I spent seven and a half days in the hospital. They said my arm and my hand would never work. They do. Um, I had reconstructive surgery, then I was put into a, a detox, and then I was um, went into a 90-day treatment program. After 90 days, they said, okay, you can go home. And my family had packed up my house in San Francisco, and you know, essentially, I gave up. This is only 90 days after my psychotic breakdown, and I've traveled the world many times, and I had nothing left. Um, and so I just succeeded in these 90 days of therapy and treatment and all this stuff, but I knew it was nothing. It was not even a penny. It was not even a, a needle in the haystack. And so I asked if I could stay longer and, um, you know, we, we worked that out and around the six month mark, I was told, okay, now it's time for you to be of service. And I said, well, what does that mean? You know, and yeah. They said, well, you need to go to other institutions, um, treatment centers, detoxes, hospitals, and volunteer. Yeah. And, you know, I've done public speaking previously. Prior to my breakdown, I, you know, I've done a lot of uh, what some people would consider prestigious things. And um, I had a very, I was very extremely confident, overconfident, and I was a wreck. I was anxious. I was nervous. I didn't know what to do. I had butterflies in my stomach, you know, be of service. What does that mean? <laughs> you know, and it sounds like the simplest thing. And so they said, well, just go hold space with people that are hurting. So usually when you're in um, a detox, there's only two handfuls of reasons why you're there. An overdose, a suicide mm -hmm. attempt, a DUI, you just lost your kids, you've been court ordered, or you've been ordered by your employer. Those are mm -hmm. the main reasons why you're there. 
Mm-hmm. Um, there's other reasons, you know, like, you know, you can't function because you're addicted to something, but predominantly those six, seven reasons are, are why you're there. Yeah. And so I, I went in for the first two months, this is August, 2019. I went in for the first two months volunteering at places and I would walk in and I would say, you know, my name is Josh Donaldson. I'm from Seattle and Las Vegas. I ran casinos. I worked at the Bellagio. I worked at the MGM. Um, I threw a Drake concert. I, uh, I've traveled the world. I did this. I did that. I did this. I did this. I did this. And I tried to kill myself. Well, guess what? Nobody listened. No one. Because there was no humility in my voice. And I came in teaching others what they needed to hear. Right. And at first they thought I was grandiose. They thought that I was pathological. And so every time you go in, you're with a different group of people. So I was telling my story. And it wasn't relating with anyone. So a miracle happened around September. The end of September 2019 was my 40th birthday. Right around my 40th birthday, I gave up. I didn't know what to do. So I just shut my mouth and I listened. And that's when I found suicide prevention. Um, Because suicide prevention, um, it's great. Hotlines are great. Medication, therapy, I do all those things are great. Being diagnosed with whatever's wrong is, is is it helps as well but the number one thing for suicide prevention is listening and not listening where you're going to give advice next but listening holding space with someone and i didn't know what that meant Mm -hmm. until i was quiet and i found that by me not talking about myself magic was happening people actually felt heard so then my the next thing that happened was a couple, right around that same time period, I found that I got humble even more than I was starting to. Um, and I, re, I thought, well, maybe this 18-year-old from West Virginia who's coming off of Oxycontin and heroin, maybe he has something to teach me. So for the first time in 40 years, instead of thinking that I was the smartest guy in the room and that I was going to teach him what, because uh, I know everything about life, maybe he's got something to teach me from West Virginia. Maybe he's got something to teach me about the struggles of Oxycontin that I've never thought about, you know, and as soon as I was able to do that, that's when my life started to change and finding that real service, being of service, there was no transaction. I wasn't court ordered to be there. I wasn't uh, required to do that, be there. There was no paper that they signed afterwards. It wasn't community service hours. I wasn't paid. It wasn't going towards my degree. There was no transaction. And when there's no transaction and you're doing something and it wasn't on social media. So it was the start of something that they call doing, being good in, in private, being good Mm -hmm. in secret. It's a, you know, it's a, it's something that's talked about in small circles. Um, And I'm still trying to understand what that looks like in my life. But this beautiful thing happened where maybe one out of eight or nine people um, by allowing them to feel heard, they, they found that will to live. Sorry. They're, um, you know, they, that spark inside of them uh, gets reignited because somebody cares and it doesn't matter that it was me. It's not about Josh. It was a human that cared for another human with no transaction. And it was two strangers. And that is this beautiful thing that happens. And so that was what led me on this suicide prevention journey. And that's one of the things that a lot of people don't talk about enough, um, you know, the first thing that you can do is listen to others, but do it in a way. And this is, this takes so much practice. 
so much practice. <laughs> do it in a way where you're not thinking about what you're going to do later on that day, what you're supposed to be doing tomorrow, how much money you owe for rent or whatever, whatever it is. Clear your mind, which is a hard thing to do, and hold space for someone. And then if they ask you what you, your thoughts are, give it to them. But if they don't ask you, don't say anything. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. It's okay to hold space and listen to someone and not tell them what your thoughts and opinions are. Mm-hmm. Do you know how hard that was for me to learn how to not tell somebody what to do with their life? Oh my goodness. That was the hard, that was one of the biggest lessons I've ever learned in my life. And that's when my life started to change. And I learned uh, that I needed to be of service for others and that I needed to lean into holding space. And if people ask me my thoughts and my opinions and my experience, that's okay. But if they don't, it's time for me to listen. That's absolutely beautiful. I needed it. I, I had to take a class of communication um, in, back in college because I didn't know, but somebody pointed it out back in the day that I had the tendency to interrupt people. And I know that that's also- I've done, a, I've done that. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I didn't know I was doing that at all. It's subconscious. It, it Yeah. I know people that will interrupt. And I, sometimes when I get excited, I do that. Um, mm. But I know people that do that constantly and they don't mean it in a disrespectful way. They get excited. Oh. There's different, it's a subconscious, it's a subconscious habit that we have yep. to unlearn. Yep, absolutely. And it's also a symptom of ADHD, which wasn't diagnosed till I was 25. So I remember doing this early on and a coworker back in the day, I was a, a graveyard server at Denny's and- Where? Uh, the one next to the Wiltern. Okay, in LA? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was 18-year-old Brenda, graveyard server, 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. Make that's, my cup. That's rough. That's rough work for an 18-year-old. Dude, yeah. That's rough work for that's rough work for a 50-year-old. But I'm just saying that's like that's a lot of life because there's some characters that come in at at two o'clock in the morning into a Denny's in LA. The that's oh, a lot of reality. Dude, we'll have another episode on that alone. <laughs> like, God. <laughs> True stories of an 18-year-old working the graveyard shift at Denny's. That could be your next book. It's got to be because, oh, my God. Um, I had to grow up real fast, and I've been very independent since I was since I was young. And so I, I was in college at this time, too. After at 6 a.m., I would, I would make a cup of coffee and drive to Santa Monica College and then, you know, go back to my, my place. I lived with roommates. Um, the whole, oh, my God, it was a gnarly time. But that's where... A coworker would would come up to me and was like, "Okay, hey, you're doing it again." I'm like, "What?" He's like, "We were all having a conversation, and you just showed up and told your story, but we're all focused on what we were saying, and you were just like, "Hey, guys!" I'm like, "Oh my god, I'm so sorry. I didn't know I did that." That is, uh, I think it's, I I want to say that it's related to situational awareness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I needed to take a class, and I remember psych of communication. I that class changed my life. And that's where I learned what you just said, how listening is so powerful and you don't need to blurt out everything that you have right now. You could, you could take that moment and go, okay, hold on. Can I say this in like five minutes? Okay. Like, you know, and take that moment because listening is incredibly powerful. When we have the ability to make someone feel heard and seen and understood the way you were describing it, that is what heals you know absolutely well so it gives let's say that somebody is at their rock bottom let's say that they're suicidal let's say that they're uh, numbing themselves with uh, drugs and alcohol and 
I'm going to strip this down to something basic. And I'm not saying that this is a, for every scenario by any means. And I'm not going to be dismissive towards addiction because um, I'm an alcoholic in recovery myself. Often in our lives, we don't feel heard um, by our, and I love to talk about this. It means so much to me to talk about this. Um, we don't feel heard by our significant others, by our spouses, um, by our kids, by our families. That's the one of the biggest ones, by our coworkers by our employers or by our peers. Everyone wants to talk about the newest episode of Stranger Things or, you know, what Lido did on stage last night at the festival or what song is trending on TikTok. Those are fun surface level things. And sometimes you might have that girlfriend that'll listen for a second, but does she really listen or does she just want to get off the phone and tell you what what, you know, what you want to hear so she can move on with her day. And right. so a lot of us feel go through life feeling unheard and we just have these surface level conversations and we're pushing all of our emotions down 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 you know and you don't have to be an addict to be pushing your emotions down you could be watching to, you know netflix you could be you know going out being social drinking mimosas like whatever it is that is surface level because you don't have the capacity you're not being honest with yourself because you don't have anyone listening who's right. making you feel heard. So right. given the opportunity of someone to sit next to you and just listen, it's a beautiful thing. And again, I'm not making this about me. I'm talking no, about it in general. Um, and what I've seen with my own eyes is that it can reignite the soul or the spirit, not always, but sometimes it can reignite the soul or the spirit by giving it hope and humanity. Mm-hmm. So let's say that you go 20 or 30 years without being heard in your life. And you don't know that it's subconscious, you know what I mean? But you feel something's wrong, something, there's a hole, something's broken. Does anyone care? Is anyone listening? And then finally you get somewhere. I don't know if it, maybe it's with me, maybe it's with you, maybe it's, you know, wherever you are, maybe you, you end up going to a meditation center and you, you hold space with somebody and they listen to you and they, they feel you and they feel what you're going through. Sometimes there's this beautiful moment where your soul or your spark is like, wait a second, maybe I need to change my environment. Mm -hmm. Maybe I need to change my people. Mm -hmm. maybe, maybe there is someone or somebody or a tribe or a community out there that cares about connection and community. Mm -hmm. And all of those things that we just talked about are suicide prevention. Suicide prevention for me, and I've talked about this many times, at the extreme end of it, it it's put the gun down and put in, we're going to, we're sending in the ambulance. That's the extreme end of it. Suicide prevention is what if someone helps us feel heard and then five or 10 years down the road, we don't get suicidal. Yes. What if we learn meditation yes. and we learn service and we feel heard and we feel yes. listened 10 years before? Mm -hmm. Because oftentimes, if that we never have that beautiful connection with community, or we never feel heard, then someday, when you're 39 years old, you and you've had all this glory and you know money and travels and trips, you slit your wrist because you don't feel heard anymore. You know what I mean? But maybe if I was 25 years old, I had learned these things, that wouldn't have happened, and that's suicide prevention. So often people tell me, "Well, I'm not suicidal." I hope that you never will be, 
But yeah. us talking right now is still suicide prevention. Oh my God. I love all of that. I'm going to give myself a big hug. Mm, just like feel that and just take that in. Cause you summed it up perfectly. Perfect. I've, I've thought a lot about it and my thoughts have evolved constantly. There's interviews that I did in 2019 and 2020 that um, I won't, don't want to say are irrelevant, but my thoughts have drastically changed and um, my emotional intelligence has grown dramatically this year mm -hmm. i'm just an infant on my journey um, every day that i learn something new i find out that i know less than i did the day before it's yeah. a very humbling thing like oh my god what's that oh rabbit hole oh no i don't know anything. <laughs> i can't believe it the earth's flat just kidding it's not <laughs> And we, we, we've touched upon that briefly when I went into like a dinosaur rabbit hole a few weeks Ooh. ago and I was like, oh man, dude, like now I'm learning about the Mesozoic era and I'm just like, yo, what? This earth is like crazy old. Oh my God. You know, I don't know anything. No, but back to what you were saying right now about prevention, that is so key. If we focus on prevention, then we can prevent a lot of the outcomes that we are trying to fix right now yeah and one of those ways one of them is by being a genuine listening ear yeah. caring and focusing on connection with another human being on a soul level non-transactional of being yeah. like i'm human I that's that's what's important I'm going and volunteering i'm sorry to interrupt you going no. and volunteering at I don't want to be too harsh on this, but going and volunteering at your at your local um, homeless shelter and feeding them and putting it on TikTok and the gram, you think it's because you're bringing awareness to the cause. Well, are you or are you just trying to look good to your followers? So non-transactional also means maybe not telling anyone. You know what I mean? That's something that I've really, a few people in my life have told me about after I started this journey. They're like, when the music stops is incredible, but Josh, at the same time as when the music stops, can you also do good in secret and not tell anyone, not tell your family, not tell your friends, not tell social media, not tell a single person and just keep that between you and whomever's on the rece receiving end of that. Mm -hmm. And that is a true test in humility. And I'm not sure if I'm there yet. There's times that I've, I've gotten close, but mm -hmm. it's a, it's a heavy, powerful thing. Mm -hmm. I think there could be a really great balance with both when it when it comes to going somewhere and volunteering and wanting to genuinely raise awareness on yeah, that. You know, if you have a yeah. platform, that's that's very important. But like you said, if somebody's doing it out of ego reasons for like, look what I'm doing, then it's like, really? Bruh? Uh <laughs> or you need to be, you know, can you go to another place or another shelter or do something else for and, and I don't want the homeless to be the excuse it could be you know volunteering you know any number of places with the whales you know what I mean but can you can you can you can you, I love do, that. Can you do that um and and not and not tell anyone you know and so I don't know it's a, it's uh this is a journey that we're all on um but each of those things make the world a better place we need that more than ever I don't want to focus on calling people toxic, but I had to mute quite a few people on social media that I love because they're heavily focused on how bad the world is right now. Yes. Pandemics, vaccines, sicknesses, death. And that is true. And I am aware of all of those things. I'm aware of racism. I'm aware of bigotry. I'm aware of all of these things that are in the world. But if we can without aside from being aware 
if we consume that every single day, it yes. will lower our vibration. Yes. Now, I'm not talking about being ignorant to it, right. but at the same time, I have to put up my energetic wall and say, okay, yeah. what can I do? Well, yeah. I can go listen to someone. How can I make the world a little bit of a better place today? And mm -hmm. maybe your light, Brenda, and my light, maybe it could be infectious. Maybe we can work to become a prism. So then when our light brightens, it turns into a rainbow. And somebody from a faraway land sees that rainbow and is like, I wonder if there's a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And instead they find us helping somebody or listening. Which is way better than a pot of gold. You get two pots of gold. You're just like, hey, what's up? That's exactly what we do. And that's, I love that you mentioned that too, because I too have found myself muting people. It's like, okay, look, what we consume affects us in every single way energetically like you were mentioning that's exactly what i believe in too that's why it's so important to empower ourselves to practice self-care to make sure that we take care of ourselves and then we can take care of others and prioritize yeah. ourselves yeah absolutely a, fr a friend of mine um actually my roommate he uh one of the things that he says and it's the simplest thing in the world and i <laughs> I say it too now. And this is something that we hear and we're just kind of like, yeah, 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 blah, blah, blah. But when you're on a plane and you open up that booklet or the flight attendant's talking to you, they say to put your oxygen mask on first before helping anyone else. Because if you go rush to help someone and you don't have an oxygen mask on, you could pass out, be in the way, in the, <laughs> in the, in the, in the aisle way. People can't get past you. Maybe someone trips over you. So it's a great analogy where if you're not putting your oxygen on first, you could be blocking others from putting their oxygen on. Mm -hmm. Ooh, I never thought of it that way. There's layers to this. <laughs> and that's for another episode too, but I've never thought of it that way. I know that we got to put our oxygen mask first, but I've never heard of the analogy of, hey, you could pass out if you don't put on your mask and then you could trip someone in the process. Well, so that's, yeah, and that's the... Well, so for me, I would think like, okay, wait a minute. Why do I need to put my mask on first? I could hold my breath and, and help the guy next to me or the person next to me or the kid or whatever that is. You know what I mean? Um, but it's so you're not in the way. So you're not hurting others by not taking care of yourself, which is also like, yes. imagine we have all this sickness yes. inside of us that we're carrying these wounds let's loosely use this analogy and you're going through and you're having these relationships work relationships um intimate relationships uh friendships whatever that is right but you have all these wounds that are untreated okay Tra mm -hmm. trauma whatever that is okay you're without knowing it you're bleeding on yes. everyone around you yes. you're bleeding on others you're spilling whatever un you know, toxic behavior that you've learned, uh, you know, and I don't want to come, I'm not trying to be harsh on people. Um, but I, I do like to talk about these things because no, no, me every, too. every day I try to think about it. How, how am I treating others? Am I spreading disease or am I spreading solution? Am I mm -hmm. trying to be, you know, preventing suicides or am I treating people to where it's hurting their mental health? Yeah. I'm being a beacon of light. Am I being the best Brenda I could be, you know, challenging myself to be the best Brenda I could be in this situation? Or am I choosing to repeat patterns that I know are not going to be conducive to me or the person in front of me or people around me? And that's a question that requires a lot of self-awareness, right? A lot of- I was just going to say that. Yeah. I was just going to say that. 
self-awareness word out of my mouth <laughs> we on that frequency i i i feel you i hear you josh yeah. and speaking of feeling that's another thing that we need to do and i even wrote a song about it i wrote a song about suicide where part of the lyrics go we live in a society where they teach us to numb our pain away right. instead of feel our pain we can make progress by leaps and bounds when we learn how to sit with our feelings feel them and have self-compassion for ourselves and truly feel and cry and spell all of that built up anger hostility sadness you know um anxiety any of that just sit with it feel it express it in creative ways talk to people about it this is so powerful imagine i've never done any healing work any emotional intelligence work any shadow work any trauma work anything whatsoever imagine this is 2018 and i'm pre-suicidal and we're on this call for other reasons other than a podcast you probably wouldn't be interviewing me so you know how have you been partying lately um and what would be step one Cool. What what would be the basics that you would explain to somebody that has no history in all of the things that you and I have history in? I would ask them, how are they feeling? That's a great, that's an unbelievable start. And I think that right there, we could touch on that for two seconds. Um, in there's a woman by the name of Emily Fletcher who does, um, she has incredible meditations. Um, I haven't met her personally, but I know a lot of people that study under her. Um, and one of the things that, that she talks about in, in her meditation is the first two minutes of your meditation, you ask yourself, how am I feeling? And you acknowledge it. How am I feeling right now? I'm laying on the ground, I'm sitting in a chair. And then what am I feeling? Mm -hmm. I'm feeling kind of anxious. I'm feeling kind of sad. I'm sick to my tummy from some oysters last night, you know, whatever it is, you know, what am I feeling right now? Actually, you know, um, and then you go into the meditation, but for the first two minutes, you acknowledge what you're feeling. Maybe your, maybe your ankle hurts. Maybe your tummy hurts. Maybe you're, you got a creak in your neck, allow the space to feel those things. So I love that you just said that. And I think that, that is like the very basic thing that somebody could take from this in both of you, your and my going back and forth is at the very first thing you could do before you start listening to others mm -hmm. is identify how you're feeling. Mm -hmm. Listen to yourself. When you ask yourself the question, how do I feel? You know, how do I feel? So Back to this call in 2018, if you were in front of me, I would ask you, how are you feeling? And you, 2018, assuming, let's say you say, I'm good. And it's like, okay, what I would do is- I'm fine. I'm right, I'm fine. Cool, you're fine. I would allow about 10 seconds of, of just looking at each other, you know, establishing that. Which would now life. make me feel uncomfortable. Super uncomfortable. Because I can't sit super. with myself. In yes, 2018, super. I can't sit with myself. Yeah, I know it would. It I would start crawling to my skin. Yep. And then guess what I I'd would look, do? I'd look at Instagram. <laughs> and then guess what I'd I would do? Swiping. <laughs> I would then ask you again, how are you feeling now? Can you describe the physical sensations? And I'd be like, this is weird. This is awkward. <laughs> I'm, I'm crawling in my skin, which would be the right answer. Yes. But exactly. I would be, I would be passive about it. 
but it would be, you know, what, and you're right. How am I feeling? I'm feeling uncomfortable because I can't sit with my emotions or sit with myself, mm-hmm. which is because we've been taught to suppress our feelings and how we yes. feel. We need to unlearn these things. So it could be, you know, 40 years, it could be 18 years, whatever, however old you are, um, you know, you've been taught to put those things in a box and go forward, get to school, get to class, be on time, pay your bills, pay your taxes. That's what we're programmed to do. When you get off work, go to happy hour, grab a drink, have a drink, go home, watch stranger things, go to bed, get up, do it again. None of that allows for us to hold space with ourselves and identify how we're feeling unless we're in therapy. And now, you and I, I assume, both know the beauties of therapy. Mm-hmm. And what's wild is I talk to so many people that are scared out of their minds for therapy. Mm. And now loving it so much, I'm like, what? <laughs> 2018, Josh, wouldn't touch therapy with a 10-foot pole. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I can understand the scary thing. And I've had people reach out to me. How do I? This is the wildest one i've had people message when the music stops multiple times how do i tell my mom i want to do therapy without her thinking i'm crazy and i'm like whoa that's the world we live in where the judgment can come from the family from the matriarch of the family oh yeah and she might not be calling you crazy but she's built this home and this container of oppression and judgment to yep. where you can't even go help yourself without feeling that you have to look over your shoulder and, you know, yeah. be concerned that your mom's going to treat you different on Christmas. Yep. Which goes back to, it's very important to find even at least one person that you can feel heard and seen by, because I don't know if you knew about my story, but I, I'm the black sheep of my family because I sought out mental health and to improve myself. Yeah. When, ever since I was, I was young, when I told my family that I was starting therapy, the first thing they said was what you, we, we knew you were crazy, but like, I'm like, Oh, "Oh, thanks guys. (laughs) You know, but then they would say, well, what are you going to learn in therapy? What, what are you doing? You learn about, what did they say? They said, you learn about psychology and life, you know, through life. I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, I want to talk to people. What, why are you going to talk to them about what you grew up with? What would you, and there's obviously oh, yeah, a lot. Yeah, yeah. No. Oh, I love that. What you just said, because often there's then, you know, are you going to, what are you going to tell them about us? <laughs> yeah. Everything, everything, absolutely everything. <laughs> Telling on you. Everything, you know, but I received a ton of backlash from my family wow. um, because I began my therapy treatment. And I remember when I started seeing a therapist, I was 19, but prior to 19, I was already talking to a lot of counselors at school because fuck, I needed it. I needed an outlet. I needed to talk to somebody about what I was going through at home. And I just, and, I, and, and what was happening at Denny's and what did Denny's, yo, those 2am club rushes. Yo, I blame you for that too. Thank you, Josh, for organizing those bomb ass parties around the block. <laughs> I would get that 2am rush. Nah. Um, but it's true. Like you were mentioning, then you have the family that can be oppressive with your own, with your own treatment. But what helped me so much keep going, despite the constant backlash, 
And by the way, when I was learning how to set boundaries um, early on and, and starting to respect myself from my family when I was around 19, because that's when my therapy journey began, my family would then say, oh, you're changing. You're different. We wish you can go back to the girl that you once were. Why are you? It's making you worse. Therapy's making you worse. No, wow. it's called I'm developing boundaries. I've, I'm respecting myself yeah. and you're not yeah. going to treat me like this. And yeah. that's that's where a lot of people can also cave in to the the familial pressure, right? Of not stepping outside the family because, oh no, then you'll be ostracized. And it's human nature to need to belong to a community because we're social creatures. And I mean, this goes back to evolution. Community and connection. That's it, right? We need that to survive. And uh, truly we need that to survive. So what helped me so much during this time was cultivating my own circle, my own beautiful little universe of friends that, were there for me and that were were like hey we love you no matter what that unconditional support that I wasn't receiving with my family but I was receiving it with my friends and that made the world of difference so to anybody listening if if you want to start your therapy journey and your family is not supportive of it please make sure that you surround yourself with friends who are going to be supportive of it and that you can confide in and and you do feel listened to and seen. That is important. Also, if you are the first in your family to do therapy, you might be healing generational wounds. That's exactly what I'm doing. And and generational trauma. So a lot of people don't understand that. And the simplest way to put that is that before you have kids and pass on whatever shame and judgment was learned from your parents who learned it from their parents who learned it from their parents society has changed we've evolved and so now we're at the point where we get to find ways to heal and when you heal that then you teach a new way to your children and you've now healed generational wounds and i think that people might hear that term generational wounds and not understand what it means it's Mm -hmm. literally as simple as you know, your mom judging you for going to therapy and her mom judging her. We never went to therapy for a hundred years. Well, the, right. the, world, the world's changed now. We can, and it's okay. But if you go to therapy and you, it helps you, then when you have a daughter or a child or whatever, you let them know, hey, it's okay. You know, Do you want to be in therapy? Like We can figure that out. Obviously, that also comes with the conversation of having a good therapist because I've heard a lot of horror stories out there too. But that's a whole nother episode. It's true. Focus it. And that's, that's how we prevent so many things by learning to, to use the resources that are around us and going into them with an open mind and realizing that and you bettering yourself and you adopting these new practices that your family may not be uh, open to, but you are taking advantage of these resources around you. You are healing generational trauma and you are preventing, you, it could prevent you know, a, a breakdown in the future, a nervous breakdown, a suicide attempt, right? But starting, starting this young, which is why I'm very passionate about this with our, especially with our youth. I go to schools, I have my own company where I, um, I do motivational speaking and which I know you're a motivational speaker also. I do mindfulness workshops and I blend it in with music and comedy because music and comedy are cousins and music and comedy are the universal languages that everybody speaks. And it's the best way to learn new information that could potentially be a lot 
and hard to take in, right? But when we blend it in with music and comedy, you know, you're like, oh, okay, you're like more open to receiving it. And this is why I'm so passionate about bringing this to our kids. Start young, start teaching them that this, there are resources out there and that it is normal and it is okay to have these feelings, but we first gotta, gotta feel them. We gotta, we gotta be there for ourselves. I, I did wanna touch upon, um, outside lands though because i know when mm -hmm. the music stops was at outside lands and you guys had an incredible and beautiful response to you guys being there can you talk to us a little bit about that yeah absolutely so outside lands is is kind of like the uh, coachella of san francisco um it's a big festival with multiple stages 180 to 100,000 people a day it's 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 huge big big it's a it's a big one um it's funny because a lot of people come from the east coast for that one and everything um you know it's not as well known as Coachella but it's been around for 16 years I think it is and it, and it's it's a big dog a lot of food but it's all ages so people bring their families um you know it's incredible last year um I was uh given a booth um in the nonprofit area which is called Ecolands and I Last year, I really focused on bigger is better. So I asked for a larger booth, a large tent. Um, I brought DJs and speakers and hula hoops. And we did a silent disco for suicide prevention and all the things. And um, it was funny because we had a few different hurdles where we had like too many people at our booth or the DJ was playing while the band was on. Simple things like that. So this year they asked me to come back. They asked when the music stops to come back to Outside Lands for the second year. And it just happened two weekends ago. And one of the things that I mentioned earlier that I've been working on with my therapist is getting back to basics. So what does basics look like? And for me, having been uh, the talent buyer and the promoter in Las Vegas for 14 years, it used to be bigger is better. And, you know, suicide prevention, I got to, you know, we need pyro, we need, you know, acrobats, you know, <laughs> so I was thinking about it. And I was like, wait a minute, what if we just do a booth and hold space? And it made me feel uncertain. And so we did that. I told outside lands, just give me a 10 by 10 bet tent, because rather than doing it, having a big when the music stops circus one time, yeah. and we just blow it out and that's it right i want to have something every single year there's another organization there called the surf rider foundation shout out to them and they have had a small booth that's beautiful for 15 years wow. think of how many people you could touch in 15 years versus the circus one time yeah. you know and so it meant a lot to me so we did the booth and we had 18 uh incredible volunteers that came out at different times of each day it was a three-day festival and we held space and i was there from uh 9 30 in the morning to 9 30 at night 12 hours each day and um held space with over 150 people um one-on-one -on -one. and it's a very energetic thing it takes mm -hmm. a lot of energy and something that i'm learning because um you know uh, often when somebody because there's there's hugs there's tears there's laugh there's joy you know people you know the universe sends people to us that don't know why they're there and then they find out why they're there you know i get a lot of what's this you know and then uh oh my god my brother just you know took his life or something that happens quite often so we have a, a lot of lost survivors and there's a you know 
it gets really heavy. Not always. We keep it light. We keep it fun. We, we've got games and questions and all kinds of stuff. Find affirmations. There's ways to make beautiful connection. And so people, um, sometimes when they're talking about what they're going through, I give them a piece of, of, of my energy, a piece of, of my love and, and hold space with them. And, um, you know, sometimes you take a little bit of, of what they're going through with you. Yeah. And so one of the, th and so on Monday, I was so drained. I could barely even, you know, get out of bed. It was, it was pretty tough. Um, and I needed to go to the ocean and like put my feet in the sand and kind of let all that stuff wash away. Yeah. Um, and it, that's a real thing, you know, holding space, but it was so beautiful that a friend of, of mine said, Hey, will you uh, do suicide prevention booth? Not the circus. Yeah, which we've done. We, we've done the big tent in Nashville and Austin and San Diego and Tulum. We've done a bunch of large activations. And um, he said, we do the booth next weekend, which was just passed in mm -hmm. Oakland at the Nora and Pier Festival. Oh, that's right. I saw same, that. Same thing happened. So I, I went there, had some volunteers. The volunteers <clears throat> canceled in the morning. Things happened. And I just I wanted to quit. I wanted to give up. I just was feeling really down. I was having a rough day, you know, and uh, I called my father and he said, there's somebody there that needs, that needs you there. The one that stands out to me, cause it could have been anyone, but the one that stands out to me was um, there was a woman, she was going through a lot. Um, one of her, she is a single mom with uh, two teenage daughters. I want to guess 13 and 15, something 12 and 15, somewhere right around there. Um, and one of the, the the older daughter hadn't been showering um, for a week and wasn't brushing her teeth and was just playing Roblox and on the phone, TikTok and Roblox. And so the mom was really struggling with finding a way to get her motivated to taking care of herself, which obviously is a sign of, of depression. You know what I mean? We all know that when we're not feeling good, we don't take care of ourselves. We don't make the bed. We don't, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, we don't brush our teeth. You know, we might skip a day or two days or three days, you know, right. I, Cause I don't, I don't feel like that, you know? And so the mom uh, said to the girl, you know, well, give me your phone. I'm going to take your phone then until you do it. She kind of gave her the ultimatum yeah. and, until you take a shower and brush your teeth, no more Roblox and TikTok. And the daughter said, without batting an eye, fine, then I'll kill myself as soon as you're not looking. What? So that is every mother's worst nightmare. And worse, that was already, she was already worried about her daughter's mental health. And so oh. that broke her. And so she let her have the phone and she left the house defeated. And she just left. And she went to some friends and the friends said, hey, there's a music festival down the street. Let's go check it out. You know, I don't know who it is. They just came. They're locals in Oakland. And uh, she walked in and then she's like, she sees a suicide prevention booth. And she's like, what? And she came over and she met me and she was crying and she was talking to me. And just two weeks ago, she created her own uh, small business. I won't get into details. Um, and the small business is named after the daughters because it's her dream to make it big and give it to them. And so I was able to hold space with her. Now, am I qualified to listen to a single mother who has a suicidal daughter? Absolutely. Am I a single mother with a suicidal daughter? I'm not. So I was able to, after listening to her and holding space with her, connect her immediately 
with a single mother in our community in our network um, who has three daughters and has dealt with things like this where the daughters are kind of trying to leverage and hold the parent hostage and things like that and so immediately she was able to have connection and community and was able to feel heard and now here's what's ironic the obvious thing for me would be that that was the woman that needed me that day yeah but there was 20 or 30 other people there that day and it might have been the one that i don't know there might have been somebody that was really hurting that was going through something that day and maybe i just gave them an affirmation card um i gave them a journal or a backpack we give away um when the music stops merchandise that's so cool. um, we give away when the music stops journals and bags they cost us a lot 1378 per kit um so for every hundred i give away it costs almost 1400 including you know wow. with shipping and things like that so that's what a lot of the donations go to and they mean so much to people you know because mm -hmm again you're starting to remove that transactional well i'll sell you a journal you know well, i don't want to sell journals so i have the intention of paying for journals and having them made for you to put your thoughts and dreams with in them one of the things that i say to someone anytime they take one of my free journals from me um one of the things i say is you have to make me a promise and they're like what the it confuses them every time and i said you have to be honest with yourself and it takes them they're like so there's a couple that are like oh yeah of course but usually they're like oh wow okay and so oh, they're leaving with that intention of just be honest with yourself it's not for me it's for you but in my creation of these journals my intention was for you to have an outlet i know people that i've given when the music stops journals to and they've completely filled them and then contacted us and said hey i live in texas how do i get another journal now they could go buy a journal but they <laughs> but i have this intention that i poured into these when i made them to help others and create connection create bond and so those things are suicide prevention you know a lot of people don't understand it we're we're unconventional um i've looked at all the other organizations bless their hearts i'm happy they've been around for decades um you know there's some really good ones uh jed foundation um you know afsp is the big dogs um uh to write love on her arms and uh, uh trevor project they you know they do incredible stuff but i think that there's a lane of using music as the commonality and showing yeah. up at festivals and events and yeah. being able to hold space for people that maybe are there to numb themselves or maybe are there to escape their reality and it yeah. doesn't have to be everyone but if we can help one person per event then it was priceless my being there that is so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. That is absolutely beautiful. That is the core message of when the music stops. That's yeah. everything. That's everything you do. And I, and I want you to do, you're doing light work. I want you to know that you're doing light work on this planet. And it's not, it's not easy. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's beyond easy. I mean, every other day you have a, the universe is challenging you with, are you going to give up? Are you going to mm -hmm. quit? Are you going to keep going? And the biggest thing that I found is that now some of the most, some of the biggest opportunities and, and all, you know, things are that are coming in right now um, are because I've just keep showing up and I'm consistent, mm -hmm. you know, and there's a lot of people that would never reach out to a suicide prevention organization that have partied with me. And so they feel safe. They feel they're like, I mean, you know, Josh gets it, you know what I mean? And um, our organization is not about sobriety. Josh's story is about sobriety personally. 
but um you know we have plenty of people in our organization that you know drink wine or partake or you know what i mean whatever they're california sober you know whatever that is um yeah, yeah. but yeah. um for uh for me my journey is something different you know because separately from my mental health i i struggle with uh, addiction um but you know for us we're welcoming of all and we have no judgment for anyone so um you know I think that if there's anything that I want somebody to take away from this, it's to find a way to connect with somebody else um, and listen and just see how they're doing. And you might need someone to listen to you. And in listening to others, you might forget about your problems for a second and you might get what you need. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. I'm going to make that a clip as well. That's absolutely true. I hope there's I... a couple of clips in the middle. There's a ton. Oh my God. <laughs> no, th this is absolutely true. And I want everybody to know that what you do is so, it's just mind blowing. And I, and I had to take a, a second right now to truly, to think about all the other organizations that are, like you said, suicide prevention, doing all that stuff, but you you bring such a personal realness and personable energy to it that this yeah. is this is all you this is from the ground up and your energy and your passion the passion that you bring to this you can feel it and this is why you are able to affect positively so many people and this is just the beginning for when the music stops like this is yeah. no it it really is. I just gotta. I just gotta survive the the downtimes because I'm not great at fundraising. Um, I'm great at taking out loans. I've taken out some big loans um, to do some unbelievable things, and I'm not the best at fundraising. I'm the best at executing. I had one of the, and I don't want to make this about me by any means. This is not meant to be about me. Um, it's about the work. But I had. Um, one of the former directors of fundraising from the ACLU, and they do about 200 million a year, uh, tell me wow. uh, a year ago, we did a 75 minute call and she analyzed everything that I had done in the last two years. And she said, this doesn't make any sense. And I said, what? And she said, you've done more work in two years in communities across the country than people have with 10 million in the bank. And I said, and she said, you have no money? And I said, nothing. And she said, I don't understand. And I said, well, I just, I know how to execute. You know what I mean? I come from yeah. that world of events. So I know how to get there. And I, the, the secret sauce behind when the music stops, the, the community online, the page, mm -hmm. um, you know, because there's our online presence and our in-person presence, and they're both super important. Um, and, but they're very different. Mm -hmm. People that come up to me in person often have lost someone, lost survivors, People that message me online are going through something right now. Oh, wow. um, very two different things. And I never could have expected that, except for I've been doing this now for two and a half years. And so I've figured Which it I out. I love that you bring up because I love when you, when I see your Instagram stories and you ask people like, how are you today? You know, um, and you ask these questions and then you post the answers with the most beautiful motivational, you know, messages. So, so the thing is with that and that, that, writing back with the responses is hard that's also energy work i've i used yeah. i didn't know this i would do it and then i 
was drained. It was like 4 p.m. And I like had no energy. And I'm like, what is going on? And like my yeah. therapist is like, you're doing energy work. On, and I'm like, on Instagram? And she's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm learning all this. This stuff is new. Yeah. Anyway, really quick. Um, so for, for me, the secret sauce behind the When the Music Stops page, how it went from zero to 50,000 followers was because, um, and by the way, I had a woman recently ask me, how much did you pay? And I was like, what? what? I'm like, no. I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying to do suicide prevention. Why would I want spam? Like, why would I want robots in, yeah. in, in a, a click farm? Like, it doesn't, yeah. I'm trying to help humans. Like, no. no. No, it was, it took a, in the first year I begged people, can your roommate, can you take your roommate's phone? Like it was it, the first 1800 took almost a year. It was crazy. <laughs> the first thousand took six months. Yeah. But anyway, so aside from that, um, I, um, what I'll do is if I'm going through some, if I'm going through something myself, I'll think, I wonder if there's somebody else. I wonder if there's somebody else right now that feels lonely and I'll just put on my story. Anyone else feeling lonely? And it'll be like 300 people say yes in like 10 minutes. You know what I mean? And I'm like, Oh yeah. shit. Okay. What are you feeling? And then I'll ask and they'll be like, and then I'll be like, wow, this is really interesting. I'm not the only one. And then I'll start posting it on the story because you know, a lot of other pages are great at telling you what to do. Mm -hmm. not necessarily holding space yeah. so I'm trying to find this unique like to make us feel like a community like well, your voice matters as much as I mine does if it was just me on that page it would be boring yeah. it wouldn't I wouldn't matter I wouldn't you know what I mean I wouldn't know who I'm talking to and yeah. so for me I love to do it and so many people come to me and that's their favorite part they go, you ask us these questions and post the responses. And I'm like, yeah, we're just, you know, trying to figure it out. And it sucks because as the page gets bigger, there'll be more and more and more, I, and more yep. answers. And I'm just oh, like, okay. Yeah. All and right. I see you screenshot them and then upload the screenshots and there's like eight answers per screenshot. And like, yeah, you know, it, it, gets, I, it gets heavy, but I do what I can. And then I'll go. Now I've learned to try to have, I used to have to do it every day and I started to have resentment towards it. And then mm -hmm. I learned how to step away. And then what's wild was a week ago, I didn't do it for a week. And I was going to give my page to one of our volunteers. And then I was like, I can't do that because yeah it won't be my and I want it to be ambiguous I want it to be anyone you know black white trans doesn't matter I want it I want the voice to be anything or anyone it doesn't yeah. necessarily need to reflect me or my opinion it's a container where we're holding space so it's not the opinion of a suicidal you know white male it's right. the opinion of somebody who's you know, healing and growing and full of love and listening. So I want it to feel ambiguous. That's really important to me. So I want it to be like, if I pass it off someday to somebody else of any gender, of any race or any sexual, uh, you know, whatever they're going through, um, that their voice is the same, you know, of, of healing and love. And so I didn't do it because, you know, I was like, it'll change the tone. And I, posted that so many people wrote, wrote me and said thank god you didn't pass this off to someone else i'm like what i was like you know and they're like don't don't give up on us don't quit and then i was like okay then i just need to make sure that i'm you know giving myself space but so 
it's really important to me to be authentic and then to make people feel heard. Um, the wild thing is that, you know, we could keep going. We don't have to, you know, but the, the algorithms really drive me crazy. You know, um, about you're, le you're leaning into videos. So hopefully your stuff is, is, is popping more, but I'll take the most beautiful message that means the world to me. And, it'll, and I have 51,000 followers and it will show it to 70 people. Yep. I, like, I saw your post I'm on like, that too. I, it frustrates me. And I'm like, what is, I'm like, who are those? I, like, that doesn't even make sense to me. I'm like, they're literally showing it to no one. And the reason why is because they want you to pay for that to be seen. And it, it's really sad. So I took two not when the music stops uh, Instagram reels. I commented who they were from. One was about, about potatoes. It was pretty funny. And one of them was the UFC fighter that was talking about men uh, healing. Yeah. Um, and it was just through the roof. 38,000, yep, one of them, 45,000, the other mm -hmm. one. And so I know it's not my page. You know what I mean? Because if you hit that algorithm, they show it to the world. Yep. But if you don't, you know, and I'll post something really positive, like today's a beautiful day. Everything's temporary. And it'll show it to 52 people. And then I'll <laughs> post six kids took their lives in a suicide pact and it'll have 4,000 likes on it. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, oh my God. But then again, earlier we were talking about focusing on the negative mm -hmm. I can focus and I've done this that there's where I've sprinkled in to let people know that it happens to anyone um I'll talk about musicians or celebrities or somebody uh, athletes that have taken their lives and it impacts people because it allows them to think if it can happen to them it can happen to me yeah. that's a beautiful thing but if you do too much of that you're focusing on clickbait you're focusing on yeah. the negative narrative and the algorithm is going to feed it They're, they they yeah. love it but then now that's what your community is. Your community is, you know, one of my, I won't say his name, but there's a, a, a friend that I have that has millions of followers mm -hmm. and he, him and I, I respect him dearly, but his page has become a hub for n negative media. You know what I mean? And he's bringing light to it, but yeah. that's, that's his thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, this is what's horrible in the world every day, every post. Oh. And it's like, oh man, oh. we need some of the solution. And it hurt. And you feel it. You feel it energetically when you look at those pages and then you switch onto another page and you're like, huh, whew, this other one's like spreading light. So I think the thing is maybe sprinkle in one of those posts. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, like the... when it, when it's relevant, like the, one of the last ones I did was that one of the last two that I did was on a Navy ship that's under construction, there was like a whole bunch of sailors that killed themselves in one year. And the, oh, and the Navy is just kind of like just ignoring it. You know what I mean? But it's because it's under 24 hour construction and they can't sleep and they can't hear and they're breathing in sawdust. Like it's horrible and yeah. they have nowhere to go and they're stationed on this ship that's under construction. Yeah. So they take their own lives. It's like a whole thing. Oh, wow. um, and so that one got pushed a lot. And then um, the young lady uh, who was the athlete at Stanford um, that had like, you know, she was like, I think she won a national championship um, in her sport. And she was, in, I want to say that she was the goalie for their soccer team, football team. Um, and uh, she was top of her class and everyone loved her and she took her life. And so um, 
that's really important in order for people to realize that sometimes when your life looks perfect, it um, you could be the one that's hurting the most. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because you've created this falsetto, you've created this false image of what reality is, and you've surrounded yourself by suppressing your emotions. Mm-hmm. Which goes back to, we got to feel, we got to connect, we got to ask ourselves, how are we really feeling? Because that's, that's what's the most important. How are we feeling? And then how can we be there for others? How can when you we be think- authentic? When do you think is a good time to ask yourself, uh, how am I feeling in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening? If if you were going to do it once. Just once? Let's say again, I love reverting back to basics. So imagine that somebody that's listening is just going to start doing this and they want to start with once a day. Um, day. When would you suggest is is a good time to hold space with yourself? As soon as you wake up. When you wake up, you're you're in theta waves and then you're you go into alpha waves, which is you're still in like kind of a state of waking up, relaxation, coming out of that delta wave. And when you're in alpha going into beta, beta is like to executive function and doing things. When you ask yourself, how are you in alpha and you say good or you say something of a positive nature, your subconscious mind picks that up as truth. And so for me, practicing gratitude is super important. I mean, all day long with anything that that is now routine. It's a habit. It's now what I do. But when I first started, it was like, how do I feel? And then I was very honest with myself in the morning. I began to question, okay, why do I feel this way? Right. And what can I do throughout the day to help better myself? So it's important to ask yourself the question as soon as you start the day, and then follow it up with, how can I help myself feel better throughout the day? Wow. I haven't thought about that one. Mm-hmm. I, lo- I usually, when I'm doing the Emily Fletcher meditation, I, 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 I'm like, how, what am I feeling? How, how do I feel it? Right when I open my eyes, I lean into gratitude instantly. Mm-hmm. Right Go before ahead. I do my prayers, I, I lean into gratitude. What am I grateful for? And the, one of the things that I love to tell people is, don't say your pets, your family, or your friends, because mm-hmm. it forces you mm-hmm. to think, what am I grateful for? The tree outside my house, mm-hmm. um, the grass, the blue sky. What What is the little thing that you're grateful for that's other than your family and the obvious answers? You know what I mean? Think different. And some days are challenging. Some days I'll be like, oh, I used everything this week. <laughs> I better be grateful. For <laughs> I better be grateful for more clean clean towels like I don't know but like little for things. this doorknob this doorknob allows for me to open the door and get out of this bedroom it's a, I'm it's grateful a, it's for a portal but I love right. what you just said about uh how can I feel better uh, and I think that that's a, a good question that I need to learn how to adapt um I've focused a lot on awareness mm-hmm. you know when you first get into meditation they say to be the observer and yes. in the very beginning you're like what does that mean? That's madness. I'm not, what am I observing? I'm, there's nothing to observe. You know what I mean? So in the very beginning of when you're going into these things, you're like, that doesn't make any sense. But as you get deeper into it, you can start to be like Neo in the matrix with the bullets. You yes. start, to see, start to see your thoughts and your feelings. And you can say, okay, I'm not going to hold on to that one. I'm going to let that go. I'm going to hold on to that one. I'm going to let that one go. I'm going to, you know, and so awareness is the biggest one. And, and my my therapist loves to talk about that. She says, your awareness has really evolved mine um, in, in the last couple of years. 
um, because it allows me, I still will make mistakes, but I can catch them and be like, oh, hold on, wait a second. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have thought that. I shouldn't have felt that. Not in a judgmental way, mm-hmm. but in order to be aware, you know, mm-hmm. and that gets deeper in the evening where you can say the number one thing that they, one of the things that they teach you in recovery is who do I owe an apology to today? Where did I fuck? Where did I make a mistake today? Um, and then there's another, there's a really deeper one where you, as you lay down, this is something I've been doing lately, but this is yeah. like, ne- this is next level. This is yeah, like, yeah, yeah. this is oh, like no. hidden knowledge stuff right here. Ooh, uh, let's go. So, right. Yeah. I'm going to get in trouble <laughs> for talking about this. So right when you lay down and you're about to close your eyes and this sounds hard, it's not you. Uh, it's unbelievable how easy and powerful this is. You go back through your day with no emotion, no emotion, not feeling what you felt no emotion you go back through your day the entire day in order in reverse order back to when you woke up and what does that do a lot really That's a whole another episode oh okay we gonna we gonna end it's, on that cliffhanger yeah, then we're gonna end on that it's, cliffhanger. A, it's a lot it does a lot it reprograms your brain your neural pathways it allows situational awareness it allows you to understand things think different improves cognitive behavior i mean Ooh. like it's 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 literally some like super next level hidden stuff that I'm not supposed to know, but it, it's, it sounds simple, but it's like something yeah. that a wizard teaches you on a mountain. You know what I mean? Like it yeah. gets, it gets crazy. This, this is amazing. Cause I'm all about subconscious rewi- rewiring. And when you mentioned earlier on this episode about visualization and like visualizing stuff, that is huge. The greats talk about visualization and like picturing even the color of dress you're wearing of the event that you want to visualize you know or the or the what you're gold gold dress gold dress bang gold dress you know but visualize but there's so many techniques that we can do to rewire our subconscious mind and this is uh, we we have to stop we have to but i know uh, shoot but, but i will say this oh have you read uh the body keeps the score no, I keep talking okay. about it. Well, you need you need to read it. Uh, yeah. So first of all, but this has came up in other things that I've studied in this this year as well. But it's it's embedded in the body keeps the score. There's a whole study and all these different things that that happened in the late '70s with Vietnam veterans that were coming back, and they were it was in the early stages of finding PTSD. And uh, what I I could talk about this for an entire episode, but the the smallest thing, and this goes into your visualization is that, and this is not a a fact for every situation, but in a lot of them, they found, uh, especially in veterans that come back from war, Mm -hmm. um, that in the most severe cases, their imagination doesn't work anymore, that they can't fantasize anymore and they can't visualize anymore. And that leads to hopelessness. Mm. So uh, at its most basic primal idea and understanding very 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 basic and primal a lack of imagination equals hopelessness whoa that is so true yeah that and it's is been coming true. up for me since since april it's came up to me multiple people that i've studied under recently or things that i've read that's came up from different points of view so it's something that i think i need to 
before I really start doing public speaking about this topic, I need to really understand and conceptualize it. But that is in its root form, in the rudimental form of it, that is what it is, is that a lack of imagination equals hopelessness. And it's not always, and then to take it a step further, yeah. hopelessness is suffering plus bitterness. You are absolutely right. I My mind was just blown right now because I'm an incredible, incredibly imaginative person and very creative and my mind's always like oh imagining and creating new things all the time and that's that I feel like that hearing after what you just said contributes a lot for my zest for life so in 1978 um the gentleman that that uh the doctor from Harvard that wrote the body keeps the score yeah. he's really he has a really long Dutch name he was a Harvard doctor he was working with Vietnam veterans, Marines. And um, are you familiar with the Rorschach test? Yes. The ink blotter. Mm -hmm. For anyone that's listening to cards, what do you see? And so I want to say they took 21 Marines that were coming back because this is pre-PTSD. They didn't yeah. know, they didn't, they didn't identify the term PTSD until 1980, but this was the precursor to that. And yeah. it's in the book. There's a whole chapter about this in the very beginning of The Body Keeps the Score. And it talks about Vietnam uh, veterans coming back from uh, uh, Marines coming back from Vietnam. Yeah. And they would find them, you know, going crazy on their wives and kids and like, you know, they'll be loving. And then all of a sudden the kid will drop a toy and they'll want to kill the family, like really severe situations. Wow. And they were trying to study this and figure it out. So they took 21 Marines that had returned home from Vietnam and they were doing the Rorschach test with them. Yeah. And the second card uh, I want to say introduced a color to it, like a color variation to the second card of the blotter, uh, you know, and they found that the same thing happened. Okay. The first 15 Marines and I'm, it, I don't, the orders are relevant. Mm -hmm. 15 of the Marines at the second card saw horror. They saw the worst thing that happened to them in Vietnam war. Oh my God, that's my friend's leg. Oh my God, that's the guts of, you know, whatever, you know, it was like 15 of them saw the most horrific thing that they had seen in the Vietnam War. The other six had a worse response. No response at all. They couldn't see anything. And those were the most severe cases. They said, it's just a card with ink on it. It had no imagination. It had been killed in trauma in the Vietnam War. No fantasy, oh no imagination, God. nothing. And those were the most severe cases of PTSD. They didn't see blood and guts. They saw nothing. The imagination portion of their brain had been so traumatized, it was no longer existent, and they were now hopeless. Is there any way to bring that back? gotta read the book damn i would imagine from the neuroscience that i've studied that meditation would be the thing to help with that i mean so i think i think that it both of us could go down a separate rabbit holes of, <laughs> of, know, of, of, of under no but just like researching and understanding you know how to uh, restore the imagination because this is an important thing this this is important that we need to keep our imagination alive we need and active. And that's why play therapy is just as important as uh, traditional therapy. A lot of people don't know what that is. Um, I've done it. It's 
I mean, I've seen a room full of grown men playing with Legos and then crying an hour later. Like it's powerful stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, and I'm not even just talking about childhood trauma, um, but uh, play therapy is so important, whether it's uh, painting or putties or, you know, animals or, you know, there's all these different levels of play therapy and it's healing the, it is healing the, the inner child, but it's super important because it takes you back to the emotions that you felt when you did that as a child. And that's, I'm huge on inner child healing, huge. And you've seen my post. I'm always talking about how I'm a big kid. We're just, we're just kids in grown up bodies. Um, I nurture my inner child every single day. I call her little Brenda. Little Brenda punks me though, when she'd be eating them sea salt and vinegar chips. That nah. she, oh man. And I'm like, you know, we can't eat that. And she's just like, mm, I don't care. <laughs> I want them, <laughs> you know, but it's true. Inner child healing is so important. I, I always talk about it. And when we cater to that through play therapy, when we allow ourselves to be kids, we allow our imagination to, to skyrocket. And then it gives us hope for the future. And we need to preserve that. We need to preserve our imagination. We need to, we need to keep it active. We need to be creative. And that is for a whole other episode for sure. Oh my God. I am Did so- Did we break grateful. your record longest episode? Yes. And I'm so grateful for it. I'm so grateful for you. I'm so, so, so no, grateful. No, I appreciate you having me. Thank you so much. Thank you for yeah. hearing my voice. Of course. Likewise. This has been so amazing and healing and it's going to empower a lot of people out there too. You know? Yeah, I hope so. For sure. Hell yeah. Um, where can our listeners find you? What are your socials and how can they get in contact with you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, follow us on Instagram at when the music stops, W-H-E-N-T-H-E-M-U-S-I-C-S. Oh, no, I-C-S-T-O-P-S. -S. Yeah, when the music stops, um, I answer every message. And then also my email is josh at when the music stops dot O-R-G. Perfect. And we'll have all your socials right there at the bottom. We'll have your name and everything. Josh, I can't thank you enough. I mean it. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah, I'm so grateful for you. Thank you for taking the time and energy out of your day. This has been an incredible episode, powerful episode. And I, I can't, can't wait to read the book about uh, the, the the tales of the Denny graveyard, Denny's graveyard. Shift. <laughs> Yo, <laughs> preface, preface by Josh, who would set up the parties around the block. You got you got to go back into 18 year old Brenda. Oh, and write it from her point of view. You know what I would do? Okay, I'll, and we'll, we'll end it in five minutes. Um, one of the things I loved doing with Graveyard is that the the security guards and the people that helped run the Wiltern would come afterwards, and I'd always chat it up with them, and they'd be like, "Yo, like, you know, whenever you want to come to a show, just like come to a show." One evening, it was super packed, but they were like, "Hey, this is the only time to get these tickets." You know, we're like literally holding them for you physically, like, but we need you to get them right now. I was maybe like. I don't know how late it was. And I had a section full of tables and I was like, ah, uh, fuck it. I ran out of Denny's and I'm like, I'm coming. And everyone at Denny's was like, did she just run out of the restaurant? And was that what? your last, was that your last time there? No, I got oh promoted God. after. Work. Yeah, of course. I mean, Hey, 
That's amazing. I love music. that. Hey, mu I wanted to go to my concert and my tickets yeah. were waiting for me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, but we'll leave it with that. Josh, thanks again. And uh, we will talk to you soon. Guys, everybody, thank you so much for being here. Again, you can follow us at Getting Mental Pod on Instagram. Also connect with me at Official Brenda Z on Instagram. And love you all. Thank you for getting mental with us. Talk to you guys later. Bye. Bye.